Lord, we want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything you've done in our lives throughout the week and everything we know you'll continue to do. We just ask you to come be with us today to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Turn around and say hello to somebody. My name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. Next Sunday, after the 11 a.m. service, the youth are having a Memorial Day weekend cookout after church. This is a fundraiser to help send the youth kids to summer camp. The cost is any donation. Help us out and get some lunch. Our next baptism is Sunday, June 25th at Carmody Park. Come celebrate with those getting baptized in the creek at 2 p.m. Help us carry the big flag in the Memorial Day Parade. We need lots of help. Meet at Franklin Yards on the corner of Route 25 and Route 73 at 9 a.m. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. There we go. How's everyone? So you guys aren't the people who hit the road for the weekend, are you? Um, reminder, on Memorial Day, we carry the giant flag. It's as big as this whole two sections, and so we need lots of people to do it. Kids can come pass out candy, and uh, it's a Memorial Day, so we don't. it's not real flashy stuff. And, uh, and the guy that kind of heads it up for years, his name is Jim Mears, and so he's, he's in the hospital. He had a stroke, a bunch of mini strokes. We need to pray for him. And... Uh, then the cookout next week for the teenagers going to camp. And what else is coming up? Baptism. If you've decided to follow Jesus and you've not been baptized yet, we're going to do it in the creek. So uh, the water's being warmed up. It'll be nice and good then. It'll be great. So maybe Eli will man up and do it in the creek. So Because we asked him, gave him the choice. He said, I wants to do it up here. But um, I want to pray uh, for different people like Kyle's family. Uh, his dad's funerals this week, and and a lady that comes to our church has come to our church forever. Her name's Beth Warner, 
and she passed away last night. And Beth was a, just a really sweet Christian. Um, I could talk about her for a couple hours. I've known her for, I don't even know how long, 40 years maybe. I was her pastor before we came here, and then she came here too. And so, uh, but she was always giving, always serving. Um, I'll give you an illustration. She, uh, I was once at a hospital, and, and a person in our church had lost their son. And I was talking to him, and she came in for something else and didn't even know him. And, and I told her what was going on, and all of a sudden I, uh, I went to do something, come back, and Beth's over praying with this guy. And then she's giving him money so he can go get lunch. That's just how she was. Her mom was that way. And uh, um, I never say anything about giving. I encourage you guys faithful tithing and giving. Uh, and we have a little ad there because I hate preachers that hit people up about being faithful and giving. But I've always tithed and given my Beth Warner, one of her last acts on earth, sounds crazy, uh, Dan and Cindy were there visiting with her, and here she's in the hospital dying, and she wants to make sure her tithe gets into the church. Is that crazy or what? Um, so this is her last act on earth is given here, which will make me cry, uh, just because she was just a sweet person. So pray for her husband, Steve, and the, and the kids, and her sisters. She has two, three sisters, uh, Charlotte, who's in, an, in a... Listen, Bev, well, the one sister, uh, Bev, uh, is going to live with, with Charlotte. Okay, Bev is, um, I don't know how you would describe, maybe ha- mentally handicapped a little bit or whatever like that. She sometimes works in her nursery. She's a sweet person too, so she has to go to a new place to live. She's lived with, uh, with Beth her whole life after her mom died. So just pray for her and, and all the families. Okay? All right, let's say a prayer, and we'll pray for the offering and pray for these people, too. So, Lord, I pray for, for Kyle and his family again this week, and uh, that you just give them comfort and, and grace. Lord, I pray for uh, Beth Warner's family, that you just uh, bless them and, and, and give them peace. Thank you, Lord, that she's in heaven, and I pray you just uh, bless Steve and all, all the kids, that you just give them grace. And, and thank you for, for uh, Beth's faithfulness to be a follower of Jesus and, uh, and faithfulness here as she... Uh, just demonstrated your, her love for you. So use this, use this offering, use these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. So. doing good 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 if you have a bible turn with me to luke or luke uh matthew 28 and uh that's where we're going to be and 
We've been doing a series on the different places that Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection. And so we're going to continue with that. And is it warm out? Yes. I went last night to a football game and it was freezing by the end of the game. And I was not prepared. And I shivered all the way home because because it was so cold. So, yeah. All right. So. I like to always start off by just being kind of still and quiet for a few moments. And so let's go ahead and we'll do that and then we'll get going. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you just meet us right now here in this moment. Father, we thank you for this morning, and uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and just be with us. We just carry in all these worries and pain and, and heartbrokenness and anxieties, and we just lay it all before you. We ask you to carry it for us. And so we ask that you just be with us, just bless our time, and in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So Matthew 28. Starting in verse 16, it says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, and what's it say there? Some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. To obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, in the Christian tradition, if we are going to kind of sum it all up, you would have what is called the great commandment, which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then you would have this passage here, which is called the great commission, to go and to make disciples of the nations. And, and if, if that was all it was, just those two things, learning how to love God and love your neighbor and learning how to go and share this good news and help other people learn how to love God and love your neighbor, then we would be doing perfect, right? And so that's kind of it. That's like, that's the, that's the goal. And this is where we, we get this great commission from this passage here. Now I, I find it funny because if you know the, you know the story, there, in Jerusalem, in the upper room, hanging out and waiting. At some point, Jesus tells them there to meet him in Galilee. And yet, we're also told in Acts that they go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to ascend on them so that they can to go and, and do this thing that God's called them to do, right? But this is my preacher kid head, like my brain. 
Because when you're a preacher's kid, you hear these stories and then you have like, you just, so in my brain, they're in Jerusalem. Jesus tells them to go to Galilee. So they go all the way back to Galilee, which is probably a couple of day journey. They get this message here on this mountain and then they have to go back to Jerusalem, right? And I'm thinking to myself, like, can you imagine walking back? Like, you know, he could have just told us that back in Jerusalem. Why did we have to walk all the way back to the Galilee? But the, the question I want to look at today is this. If we're called to go and to make disciples of the nation, to carry out this great commission, what does it, what does it mean for us to continue to do this? Because these guys, they go and they do it. And if it's, if it's orders, then in, in some way we're still called to go and to share this good news to the world. Make sense? So that's what we're going to talk about, okay? You guys are like, ah, whatever, Mark. Well, you know, we just want to go home and watch TV. <clears throat> and so I'm just going to go kind of verse by verse and make some observations as we do it. So first off, Jesus begins, or this passage begins, by telling us that the 11 disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, And when they saw him, it says that they worshipped him, but some did what? Some doubted. Ever doubt? How many of us, we grew up in religious settings where you weren't allowed to doubt? Yeah? You weren't allowed to ask questions. You would see something in the scriptures and it was weird. And you're like, you're you're a little kid or maybe you're a young adult and you're like, that's weird. And you ask a question and you got some sort of answer from your pastor or Sunday school teacher. Like, oh, I don't know. We can't question the word of God. Those types of things. Some of us, we grew up in those kinds of settings, right? What I find interesting in this passage is that Matthew records for us that some doubted. But Jesus doesn't seem to be too concerned that some of them doubt. Why? Because it is weird, right? Like, imagine this. You've been hanging out with this guy for three years. He's changed your life. He gets arrested. You see them kill him. You know he's been buried. And now he's back? Like, that's a trip, right? That would be super weird. And so they're there on the mountain, and Jesus is calling them to go. And... Some of them doubt. Now, for those of us that have grown up in settings where we weren't allowed to doubt, I would just simply say this. I believe that doubt is an integral part of the faith journey. The way that I look at it is like this. You have faith and you have doubt. You have faith as you walk the journey, but then you have, I don't know about you guys, but I know that for myself, then I have doubt. And in those, those moments, you have faith and you have, and you have doubt. And it just, to me, it seems to be a part of the game. Like this is part of what it looks like to follow Jesus because Jesus calls us sometimes to do things that seem hard or weird, 
or I don't want to do it. Like, for, let's take forgiveness, for example. Ever had to forgive somebody? Someone does something to you, and you, you, you know that, like, you just feel in your heart, like, I, God wants me to forgive this person. And so you say, yes, I'm going to forgive this person. And so you step out in faith to forgive. But then you begin to continue this, and you're like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if they deserve it. I don't know if I have what it takes to do. And if, have this experience, yeah? So what do we do? We step out in faith. We have our moments of doubt. Then we step out with what? Faith. And it just begins to be the process, at least in my experience, of this, of what walking with Jesus looks like is faith and some doubt and then some faith and some doubt and it's just how it goes, right? Like, I have these moments where I think to myself, are we crazy? Like, we come here on Sunday mornings and we gather and we worship. Like, are, are we crazy? So I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think that. Like, I was driving in this morning and um, I drove the back way because I had a little extra time on my hands, and I noticed there was a family on their front porch, and they were drinking coffee, and they were relaxing, and the sun was shining on their face, and they're in their pajamas. And I was like, I was thinking, man, that, that must be nice. I don't know what that feels like, because I'm always here. Like, you know the song, Easy on Sunday Morning? I don't know what that means. Sunday mornings for me are always crazy. And sometimes I think to myself, are we all crazy for coming here and doing this and worshiping this God? What is a God? Like, what, what, you can't see him. You can't touch him. Like, and so for me, I have these, sometimes these big steps of doubt. Like, I don't know. This is bonkers. Really? A guy 2,000 years ago was killed on a cross and somehow that helps my relationship with God and he rose from the dead and he walks on water and spits in people's eyes and they like what you know what I'm saying like you guys do you guys do this and so there are a lot of times man I can get into that doubt and when we step take that step there's one of two things that we can do we just back it out like I don't know if I want to do this or we say yes And here's the thing. Sometimes I think we're all crazy. I'm going to be honest. But there's all these other experiences that I've had over the years. It's just like, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know how this whole thing connects the dots. But I know that somehow as I say yes and walk in this faith, that somehow God has been holding this whole thing together and doing all these little things behind the scenes that shapes and forms the direction of my life and shapes and forms the directions of your guys' lives. And we, it's almost as if we've all been put on this journey together. And I can't explain it, but I know that it's real. Does that make sense? And so part of carrying out this great commission, if you will, is embracing the reality that Doubt is part of the game. Like even Jesus in the garden, right? He prays this prayer like, I don't know. 
I don't know if I want to do this. What is he? I don't think he's having like an existential crisis where he doesn't believe in God anymore, but I do think he's doubting this plan. Like, I don't know. I don't think dying on a cross is not, maybe we could figure out a different way. You know what I'm saying? And so that I, to my, so my experience and my observation of the, the people of faith who have gone before us, doubt is part of faith because it wouldn't be faith without doubt, right? Yeah, does that make sense? So that's part of this thing that we call following Jesus is under, embracing the reality that doubt's going to happen and it's okay. Good? This leads me to the next thought. Continues and says that then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all of the nations. And so what Jesus is doing here in this passage is interesting to me. Number one, in some way you could say that he's subverting the political climate that they all live in. Because in the world that Jesus lived in, the person who had all authority in heaven and on earth was a Caesar. Yeah? Because they believed that they were the, the sons of God. And so you would go and they would be all authority in heaven and earth belongs to this person, to the Caesar. And their mission was to spread the rule and reign of Caesar to all of the nations. So they were obsessed with conquering the world. Called it the Pax Roma, the peace of God, or the peace of Caesar, excuse me. Peace of Rome. And this was their, their message was to go and to, sh- to conquer and care for all of the world. But, of course, it's greed and power and all these other things that get in the way. So in some sense, you could say that Jesus is subverting this political climate that he lives in by saying, no, wait a minute, guess who really has all authority? Me. And I'm calling you to not go and to conquer all of the nations, but to go and to make disciples of all of the nations. And that there is this, this conflict of you, if you will, of the kingdom of, of Rome and the kingdom of God. And that Jesus taught his disciples that if you want to be first in this kingdom, then you're going to be last. And if you want to be great, then you're going to be a servant to all. And so Jesus is saying here, here's the thing. I'm the one who has all authority. Go and make disciples by loving and serving and sharing this good news message of God's kingdom. Does that make sense? And so on one hand, when Jesus says this, he's subverting the political climate culture of his day. But also he's subverting the religious establishment of his day. Because it says, all of the nations. Now within the Jewish tradition, they were un- they understood themselves as the people of God. Which was a good thing. Don't get me wrong. And they were called to go and to share, the, to, to show the rest of the nations what God was like, but they had gotten off track. And so they made it very tribal. Could you imagine, by the way, a group of people being like, hey, it's just about us, right? Let's, us first, right? And so they made it very tribal. And they pushed to the margins 
anyone who wasn't like them. So, if you weren't Jewish, you weren't allowed to be part of the group, all these types of things. But not only that, you, there was other group, other people. And what you find Jesus doing through his ministry is not only is he sharing this good news with his own tribe, but he also steps out of the boundaries to other people and shares the good news of God's love with them. And so he hangs out with people like lepers. You couldn't hang out with a leper. They've had a disease, and this is obviously God's curse on them. And so the religious established, they wouldn't associate with these types of people. So, But Jesus, he hung out with lepers. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with, with Gentiles. He hung out with people that were possessed by demons. Like, he, he didn't seem to care who you were. He hung out with you anyway. Does this make sense? And so where the religious establishment of their day was very insulated and only cared for themselves, Jesus seemed to step out of those borders and boundaries and shared God's love with all people. And then you find that his own disciples doing the same thing. Like, for example, Peter goes to a Roman soldier Cornelius's house. Now this was, un- and he eats with them and it's, and he baptizes their whole family. And this is completely against the rules to go and to hang out with these types of people. You have Philip who baptizes an Ethiopian eunuch, which was completely against the rules. You have you have the first church making a decision because within the within their own religious tradition, if you were going to be a, a, a male within that group, then you would have to be circumcised. And there was all these different rules and laws. You could only eat certain things. And you find these first Christians making decisions to allow these people to be a part of this church. But what's interesting about this is that there were all these written rules within the scriptures that stated very clearly that these people couldn't be part of the group. And yet, what you find the early Christians doing is that they, they go against what God had told them to do in the past so that they could be faithful to what God, the Spirit of God was calling to them to do in the present. Which is very interesting. And so it raises the question for us. Who are the people that we've pushed to the margins? Who are the people that we've pushed to the edge and we've said, no, they're not allowed to be part of our group? Because would Jesus go to them? And if we're called to make disciples of the nations, are we called to go to them as well? Think of the people that you don't like. Just real fast, just think about them, those people. Are we called to go to them? Think about the people that are weird. Or they weird you out. You don't get it. Right? They got this whole other lifestyle. You don't get it. Are we called to go to them as well? And here's what's even more interesting to me about this. When you and I are called to go love people who are not like us, 
when you and I are called to go and share the good news of God's salvation to people who are not like us, who's really being saved here? Is it them? Or is it us? When I'm called to love someone that I don't like, who's really being saved? Them or me? Yeah? The answer, by the way, is yes. Both. This makes sense? So when God calls me to step out of my box and love people who are not like me, when God calls me to step out of that and to share this good news and accept other people who are not like me that I find completely weird, who's being saved? Them or me? And like I said before, the answer is yes. Good? So he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. The good news of this gospel is for everyone. Which leads to the next thought. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so... As we go and share this good news, as we go and fulfill this great commission, this good news is for everybody, and that you and I, we are called to baptize and to teach the people that we meet. Now, what what is this about? I think about this in two ways, especially the baptism part. You have... The ritual that is baptism. So you say yes to Jesus. And the ritual to step into to this new life is a picture. It's a baptism. And it's, it's the idea that this old self of mine, this broken, selfish, self-centered person that I am, that I'm saying no to that person, that I'm, I'm dying of that person. And as I go into... The, the, the baptismal waters of death, I'm being resurrected as I come out into this new life that God's called me to. I'm a new person now. Baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and stepping out of those waters into a new life. It's a ritual that, that we take part in as the body of Christ, as people of the church. But here's the thing about rituals. Rituals, we have rituals because rituals point to reality. Now, what do I mean by that? We're called to be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This picture of this Trinity. Now, the Trinity, to me, is, is it's perhaps, the most, to me, it's the most fascinating, beautiful doctrine that the church has. It's this idea that from the very beginning of eternity, whatever that even means, that there has been the Father's love that has been sent to the Son, that is being given to the Son. And that the Son receives this gift of love, receives it and then gives it back to the Father. And that somehow in the middle the in-between space between the love of the Father and the Son, or the, the lover and the beloved. 
You have the gift of the love, which is the Spirit of God that works back and forth between the two. And that somehow this is at the center and the circumference of all things. That this Trinitarian dance, this this dance of love of God is the thing that holds this whole thing together. And what does love do naturally? Well, love creates, right? Think about anybody have, like, John and Jesse, wave your hands. You guys love each other. They're probably the best couple that go to this church. No offense to anyone else, but I'm just calling it now. And they have their beautiful children. Why? Because of the love that they have for one another, right? And what does love do? Love creates. And so love created. And God created us. And here we are. And yet God doesn't stand at a distance in the midst of this, but God enters into this love with us. And God, and Jesus takes on flesh and blood. And, and you have this picture for us of what this love that's been, it's been in existence forever. And yet we get to see it clearly between the relationship between Jesus and his father. And then what's beautiful about this thing is that then Jesus says to the disciples, here's, I'm going to go to be with my father, but you wait because the spirit of God is going to fall on you. Which means this, you and I now are the receivers of God's love, which I believe was always happening the entire time anyway. But I think that we get a beautiful illustration of it and so jesus goes to be with his father and the disciples wait and as they wait the spirit falls on them and now they are the ones who are receiving god's love and it holds this whole thing together and you and i we are called to go and do what to baptize to immerse to dunk people in the name of the father son holy spirit immersing everyone that we meet into this trinitarian love that is all things, which means this, you and I, we get to dunk people. That's your job. That's our job. We go into our workplaces. We live in our neighborhoods. We hang out with our friends and we're immersing everyone that we meet into the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, sharing this love that we have with everyone that's around us. Right? Does that make sense? And somehow as we dunk them, we're being dunked ourselves because we need to be. Because we have stuff going on. And so we baptize and we teach. Why do we teach? Because if you're like me, you still got stuff. Anybody have stuff? You got stuff going on that you need to, to get fixed, that you need, to, you need help with. So I hang out with lots of people who don't go to church. Heathens, I call them. Not like you guys. They're... They're terrible. No, I'm You know what they deal with? Worry. Anger. Fear. Hopelessness. Same stuff to you and I we deal with, right? You guys deal with that stuff? Like, I worry about stuff. Um, I get frustrated. You guys get frustrated? My daughter this this week she um she broke her phone and so we have like a little like Apple Care insurance thing where you can get a replacement but the the thing is is that they'll send you a replacement phone but you guys send that phone back right you guys 
So they send the replacement phone for her and get the box. And I'm like, okay, I need your old phone so I can send it back. And she's like, I don't have it. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have it? She's like, I threw it away. I'm like, what? You threw it away? She goes, yeah, it's broke. <laughs> like, so I get frustrated, right? And so we're baptized and we're immersed in this love of God, but we also have to receive the teachings of Jesus to navigate the world that we live in because it's a very complicated, frustrating world. And and so I have conversations with people all the time. They they worry about the future. They worry about about life. They they're angry with the world that we we live in. They get frustrated. I have a friend every morning. I I go and work out of this gym, and and uh, he's there every day. And he's like a personal trainer. And he trains people. And when he's not training people, he watches the news. And he he watches. So he watches the news, and then he comes out of that room all mad about the news, right? And he's just grumpy all the time. And I would argue the reason why he's grumpy all the time is because he's watching the news. Because here's what the news does. The news makes you fearful of people who aren't like you, right? So it makes no difference what side of your political opinions are or whatever. One side's going to make you fearful from the, of the other side. And what does fear do? Well, it does one of two things. We either retreat and we run away or we get angry and we want to fight. Because fear, fear is that, that primary emotion, but then anger is that secondary emotion that helps us deal with the first one. And, and so we live in a world that perpetuates fear and because we're Americans and it just happens to be in our DNA not to back down because we're just like, you know, this is how we started. What do we do? We get angry and we get violent. I've read, I don't know how many, at least three or four stories that I've seen in the last month where some random person was in another person's yard and they got shocked. You guys seen these stories? I saw one where these teenagers got lost and so they decided they were going to turn around in somebody's driveway. And when they turned around this person's driveway, they got shot. Or I saw another one where a kid was playing tag in the backyard, like in their neighborhood, and they went to the wrong person's yard and they got shot. How does that happen? I don't know this for a fact, but I would be willing to guess that those people were watching the news and they're afraid and they're afraid that anyone's out to get them. And so they decide, they decide that they're just going to live in this state and then... Given the opportunity, they do these types of things. Does this make sense? And so we have to take on the lessons of Jesus to be able to navigate the complexities of this world. The way that you combat fear is love. Trusting that these people aren't your enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, right? Trusting that God does have a, a way for us. Like, I worry about stuff. My, my son just graduated high school, right? And so we've done it. We've got him here. And it's time to, like, it's, raising kids is like rock, like launching rockets. You get them ready and prepared. And then it's launch day. And it's like NASA. Will the, will the rocket explode on the way up or not? Is it going to make it out? So we've done our best. But it's time to launch that, to launch that rocket. And who knows what will happen, right? 
So I worry about that stuff. And Jesus says, no, don't worry. Trust. Pray. Have faith. Anybody have regret? Yeah? Like, you know, thinking about Evan, like, did we, is there any regret in the way that we've raised him or did we make any wrong turns? What, how do we, how do you deal with regret? Well, you learn how to forgive. And, and a lot of times, who's the person you have to forgive when it comes to regret? Yourself. Yeah. And so we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but then we also learn how to live this out and teach as we go. And the lessons aren't simply for other people. The lessons are for us. Does this make sense? Yeah. Which leads me to one last thought. As we begin to do this, it tells us, it says, Surely, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says that, hey, as you go, as you share this good news, as you baptize, as you teach, you don't have to worry because I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. We've been reading this book for the last couple of weeks, and here's a quote from the book that I'm going to butcher. But essentially, the, the, the writer says that, when I think about doing the things that Jesus calls me to do by myself, it becomes completely overwhelming. But when I can know and trust that actually Jesus is with me in that place, I realize that, oh, I can do this. You know? And so as Jesus calls us to live this out, it may be completely overwhelming. It may feel like a step of doubt. But then we trust, no, wait a minute, Jesus is with me as I take this step of faith. Yeah? And so, all right, go do that stuff. Good? We're all done. Two questions. What's God saying to you? And what's one thing that you can do about it this week? So we're going to take a few moments simply to reflect on this, and then we're going to share communion together. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you just speak to our hearts in these next few moments. All right, amen.
you have this, take it, pull it out real fast. Every week we take part in this ritual. Why? Because it's, it leads us to reality. One meal is holy this week. Why? Because all meals are holy. We gather as a community together to be reminded that not only are we called to be part of the body of Christ, to be holy, but to be reminded all people outside are also worthy as well. And every week we pray this prayer together. And so pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, This is the blood of new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said, Every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means... We remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And that we're reminded that we're called to do the same, to take part as the body of Christ, to be broken and poured out for the people in our lives. And so take the bread, look to the person next to you and say, the body of Christ that is broken for you. And now the cup, the blood of Christ is shed for you. So I'll stand and grab hands with the person next to you if you like. So we will pray and go home. So, Father, we just thank you for this Jesus that shows us what it looks like to be in relationship with you. We thank you for Beth Warner and the legacy that she is to this church. We ask that you just be with her family, with her kids, and with Steve, and we just thank you so much for her. And so we ask that you just be with us this week as we go, as we try to share this good news and try to live it out. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just guide and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you guys.